when uh, many superhero movies, you're often kind of given this backstory or origin of where the superhero came from. Um, so if you watch any of the Spider-Man movies, you find you, you mean there's like I think there's like three different sets of them now. You see Peter Parker getting bit by this like special spider, and that's how he gets his Spider-Man powers and he becomes Spider-Man. Or in the first Iron Man movie, um, Iron Man is, is kind of trapped. Um, he's uh, put in like a prison almost with these by these guys, and then he makes this kind of first Iron Man suit, and then he improves it over time, and becomes Iron Man. And in Batman Begins, uh, it shows Bruce Wayne and how he became Batman. And, but there's also a trend these days, not only to tell the origin of the superheroes, but to tell the origin of the villains. And included in most superheroes, there is a little like backstory of like, okay, this is you know maybe like five minutes long of like, here's where this villain, how they kind of came about, and why they're in this story. But now there's like whole movies dedicated to how did these people get the way they are? Like what made them um, the way they act now and who they are? And when you watched, uh, at least when I watched Sleeping Beauty, you know, Maleficent was just the magical lady who you know was bad and turned into a dragon. She needs to be defeated. Um, but now there's two whole movies dedicated to her backstory. How did Maleficent become that way? And they show, well, she wasn't always this way. And so what happened in Maleficent's life? that then got her to be this person who uh, is you know, casting spells and turns into a dragon and all this stuff. And uh, we maybe never even asked that before. What, how does she get this way? What's her backstory? And these two movies tell the story of her pain um, and what brought her to be the person that she is. And when we watched The Wizard of Oz, I never necessarily thought about, like, where did the Wicked Witch of the West come from? How does she become the Wicked Witch of the West? How does she become wicked? Why is she from the West? It was, she was just part of the story, but now there's a whole musical um, called Wicked that's about, okay, the backstory, where did the Wicked Witch of the West come from? And in that story, um, Alphaba becomes the Wicked Witch of the West, and in fact, in that story, she's actually the victim of a um, corrupt system that she refuses to be a part of, and that's how she becomes the Wicked Witch of the West. So, you know, that's kind of like, you know, almost the propaganda statement from the other side of it. Oh, she's the Wicked Witch, even though she's fighting against the corruption. In 2019, the movie Joker was released, telling the origin of uh, Batman's, you know, nemesis, the Joker. And this year, the movie Cruella was released, telling the origin of you know, Cruella DeVille and the 101 Dalmatians. And uh, we might ask, how did Smeagol become Gollum? How did Tom Riddle become Voldemort? And it's like, how did all these people get to become these villains? What led them to be who they are today that we see in these movies? Um, were they always that way, or did something happen? Like, what was the environment and the ingredients that created this type of person? And we can ask the, that personal question to ourselves. You know, why am I this way? Why do I do the things that I do? How did I become who I am now? Why, why do I act um, like I act? Like, where, where do those things come from? And as we start this seven-week series on relationships called uh, Connected, uh, it's about how to have relationships, better relationships by learning to connect with people, learning to connect with our spouse or our kids or our coworkers or our parents um, or friends or family. It's about how to connect with all those people in our lives, especially the important people. And in these first two sermons, this week and next week, they're going to be laying a bit of a foundation of um, what, where does, why are we even talking about this? How do, why do we even have this desire to connect? And then the four sermons after next week, so two foundation sermons and the four sermons after that, are really the core of the series. And you can see um, what they're actually, the topic is actually going to be is these four pictures 
Um, and these pictures come from an uh, organization called Connected Families. And Katie and I went through their parenting course and we just really loved it. And we printed out their pictures. Um, these are their whole framework of for parenting and then in relationships in general is um, these four messages that everyone longs to hear, which is you're safe with me, you're loved no matter what, you're called and capable, you're responsible <coughs> for your actions. And we just have loved these, and these are, you know, we, we ordered these prints for our wall at home, and now we're borrowing them for, for the series here. And so they're in our playroom with Hudson, um, that he can be reminded of those, we can be reminded of them. And so those are going to be the four messages that are kind of the core of the series going through. How do we actually communicate those to people? How does God first communicate them to us, and how do we then communicate them to other people? And uh, the seventh sermon will conclude with practical ways for us to become people who connect. And the topic of relationships is so important for us because all of life is relationships. You really can't get away from uh, being in relationships. And the people who have tried to get away from them are probably because they are feeling hurt and they're saying, I don't want to get hurt anymore or I just don't want to need people. But you can't get away from relationships. And if we just think about the Bible, most of the commands in the Bible are about relationships with other people, how to treat them, how God treats us and how to treat other people. Uh, and then the Ten Commandments. The first half deals with relationship with God. second half deals with relationship with other people. And Jesus said the two greatest commandments are about relationships, loving God and loving others. All of life is relationships. We were made to connect with people. We are made to have relationships with people. And yet, what we find is relationships are difficult. We find it hard to connect with people. Many times we do not connect with God and we don't connect with the people in our lives, even the most important people in our lives. We feel disconnected, and we've been deeply wounded in relationships. If you think about the worst moments in your life, they were most likely, or at least some of them, were in the context of relationships. We've been deeply wounded. Our greatest pain comes from other people, which brings us to our topic for today. If, if God wired and designed us for connection... Why do we experience so much disconnection? I mean, if you had a hammer, you're like, this hammer is for putting nails in, and this is what it was designed for, and then it's like not putting nails in. You know, you're trying to hit the nails, and it's not working, or the hammer's breaking. You're like, this thing was designed to put nails in, but why isn't putting nails in? If we're designed for connection, why do we experience so much disconnection? If we were made for relationships, why are relationships so hard? Why do we hurt each other so much? Why are there so many broken relationships in our lives in the world, and why do human beings have such a hard time connecting with each other? How did it all go wrong? And the answer is found in our origin stories. Each of us has two origin stories. You have your personal, unique origin story of this is what it was like growing up, these are the important relationships with that I had, and from that origin story, you're given two things. You're given a lens through which to view other people, and you're given a toolbox for how to relate to people. So you have this lens from Okay, this is what people are like. This is um, what I can expect from them. That's your lens for seeing other people. And then a toolbox of how do I deal with uh, stress? How do I deal with conflict? How do I talk to somebody? How do I, what do I do with my emotions? You have this toolbox for how to deal with those things. And there's a second origin story. So our first one is our unique personal origin story that explains why you are the way you are. But then we also have uh, an origin story that we all have in common. It's the one universal shared origin story that explains why we are the way we are. So it's why you are the way you are, that's your personal origin story, and then the big origin story of why are we all the way we are. How do we get this way? Why do we do what we do? 
And it's all explained in the first chapters of the Bible. It explains why relationships are so hard, where disconnection came from. It explains why so many of us have broken relationships. That's where it all got started in the beginning. And so as we begin this series, we're going to start with a scene we all recognize. It's a scene that we've all lived in our lives. We've seen it done to us. We've seen other people do it. We've done it to other people. It's a theme, a scene we will recognize from our own lives, and it's in Genesis chapter 3. And anybody in the world, whether they are familiar with the Bible or not, will recognize this scene from their own lives. And so we need to first talk about, well, how is it supposed to be? In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, tell us how it's supposed to be. And they describe a world at rest where everything is as it should be. God made a world of uh, delight and goodness. And then he made a, a man named Adam. And then he put, uh, created a garden for him. And he put him in that garden. This was his home. God was present with the man in the garden. And the man was, uh, had a purpose. His job was to work and keep the garden. So he names this man Adam, gives him a purpose, work and keep the garden. Uh, and then he gave him a partner. He made a woman named Eve to be his companion. And so God created a world of connection. Adam and Eve were connected with each other. Adam and Eve were connected with God. And in chapter 2, verse 25, describes Adam and Eve's connection with each other. It says, And the man and the, his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and Eve uh, were naked and not ashamed. They're connected with each other, but they're also connected with God. In chapter 3, verse 8, uh, describes this connection like this. It says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God was walking with them. They were naked and not ashamed with each other. And this is how God meant it to be. No walls, no barriers, no masks that we're hiding behind. Uh, no pretending we're better than we are. No presenting the best parts of ourselves and hiding the worst parts of ourselves. No broken relationships, no disconnection. And this description of the beginning of humanity is a picture of how life was supposed to be for us, with God, with each other, connected. And so we have to ask, where did it all go wrong? If God created a world with no walls between him and humanity, how have we gotten to a place where there's these huge walls between us and God, and we feel so disconnected? And even the, even the most religious of us, can feel relationally disconnected. I do all my things. I go to you know church services on Sunday. I read my Bible. I pray, and we can still feel. I just feel disconnected from God. He feels far away. Why do we feel like there's so much distance between us? Why, if He created us for connection with Him, why do we feel so disconnected? And secondly, if God created a world with no walls between human beings, why do we find so many walls between us? How have we got into a world where there's broken relationships everywhere? Why do we find it so difficult to connect with other people? Why do we put walls up and wear masks to protect ourselves? Why do we hide our true selves from other people? Why do we feel so ashamed of things we've done that we think nobody can ever know about this? And Genesis chapter 3 gives us the answer. So how did we get where we are? If Genesis 1 and 2 describes a world where relationships are the way that they should be, a world of relational connection between God and humanity and between humanity and other humans. Uh, but that world no longer exists. We live in a world of disconnection. We're used to a world of walls and barriers between us and other people. And we're used to wearing masks to hide who we really are. This world that we inhabit is one of broken relationships and disconnection. And the world we know is a Genesis 3 world. And so look at Genesis chapter 3 if you have it. We'll go through this sequence of events with each other, and we'll see the world we now live in, described in Genesis chapter 3, and what started it all. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent 
was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And we notice this is no ordinary snake. For the ancient readers, uh, snakes were a symbol of uh, chaos, and that's exactly what this serpent stands for. It's trying to lead God's world, God's uh, creation, back into chaos. It, it, that's what it causes. This is an agent of chaos in the form of a serpent who is later identified as Satan or the devil. And verse 1 says the serpent was crafty, and crafty, crafty people achieve their aims by deceitful or indirect methods. And that's how the serpent leads God's world into chaos. He works through lies and deception and half-truths. And so remember this as kind of a principle. Disconnection from God always starts with deception. Disconnection from God always starts with deception. It starts with a lie. This is what happens in the second part of verse 1. The serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And there's this surprise and disbelief in his question. Um, did God actually tell you you can't eat from any of these trees in this amazing God, garden? Did he really tell you that? And the implied accusation is, God is kind of harsh and strict, isn't he? He's a, he's a bit of a party pooper to not let you eat from all these great trees in this garden. I can't believe he tell you such a thing. And the woman responds in verse 2. says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. In the previous two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, we saw that God created a good world with one prohibition. Do not define good and evil for yourselves. This choice to define good and evil on our terms is represented by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that God said, don't eat from that. And whether there's a physical tree or not, the point is clear. This tree is a constant reminder to Adam and Eve that they are not God. They're not in charge. They're not the ones running their lives. They're not the ones uh, defining good and evil. They don't decide that. They don't decide what's right and wrong. God does. Humanity is not meant to define those things apart from God in our own terms. And as our creator and our king, it's God's job to decide what is good and what is bad. And so to eat from this tree would be to reject God's kingship and authority over them It'd be telling God, we don't want you in charge anymore. We want to be in charge. We think we can do a better job. And so without even mentioning the tree that God has set off is off limits, the serpent has got Eve thinking about it and talking about it. She doesn't even bring it up. He, he doesn't even bring it up. The serpent doesn't even mention it. He just says, did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? And then she's like, oh, no, no, we can eat from all of them except that one. So now he's got her talking about the thing he wants her to talk about think about this is often how Satan or the devil works. He doesn't just say, do something bad that God told you not to do. No, he, that's like coming at the front door. He more like sneaks in the back door and starts to get us to think about something that God says we're not supposed to do. And the serpent's opening question portrayed God as overly strict. God really doesn't want you to eat from any of these trees? And the woman corrects him. But his portrayal of God as a strict party pooper has already infiltrated her thinking. It's already started to influence her. She says, no, we may eat of any tree except one. We can't even touch that one. But God said nothing about touching it. He just said, don't eat from it. And so the woman has added more prohibition than God originally gave. The serpent is beginning to drive this wedge between her and God. He's kind of strict, isn't he? Yeah, we can't eat from it. Yeah, we can't even touch it. And so there's this wedge getting driven between them. And the serpent responds in verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so now that he has her discussing the tree, the serpent, or the serpent directly contradicts what God has said. If you, do that, if you eat of that tree, you won't die like God said. In fact, God doesn't want you to eat from it because he knows that if you do, your eyes will be open and you'll be just like him. You'll know good and evil just like he does. And we've already been told in chapter 2 that humans were made in God's image and likeness to reflect what he's like. And so the woman doesn't need to disobey God to become like God. But the serpent is telling her, being like God isn't enough. You need to be God. You need to have everything he has. It's not enough that you're made in his image and likeness. He doesn't want you to become like him, but if you eat this tree, you will. And the lie here is telling her, being human isn't enough. You need to be more than human. You need to be God. And the lie is that true fulfillment, true happiness, true satisfaction, true freedom, true joy is found outside of God's boundaries and limits for you. This is the boundary. You can't define good and evil on, on your own terms. And the serpent says, you know, actually... If you stepped out of that boundary, you could be even better than you are now. You could be more than human. You could be like God. You have to disobey God in order to get what you desire. And the fuel of this temptation is doubt. First, doubt about God's goodness. Secondly, doubt about sin's badness. The message of the serpent is God isn't that good and sin isn't that bad. The serpent is saying, God isn't that good. He doesn't really have your best interests in mind. The only reason he doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because he knows you'll become like him if you do. He's holding out on you. He's trying to keep something for himself. He's withholding what you really want. God's no's are not for your good. What would really be good is for you to be God. Maybe God has given you these good things, but he's keeping the best thing for himself. And that's doubt about God's goodness. But the serpent is also saying sin isn't that bad. You can disobey God without consequences. Nothing bad will happen. It's not really bad to eat from the tree. You won't really die. In fact, it will be good for you. And so basically the serpent is saying God is against you and sin is good for you. God isn't that good and sin isn't that bad. And the doubt leads to a desire to do what God has forbidden. Verse 6 says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. From deception to doubt to desire to disobedience, the woman decides to define good and bad on her terms instead of on God's. God labeled the tree bad but she sees it as good and desires it. Disobedience begins with deception about what's true. And that leads to doubting God's goodness and sin's badness. And finally seeing that something that's bad as good and desirable. Because she doubts what she shouldn't doubt. She desires what she shouldn't desire. And she does what she shouldn't do. And her husband Adam joins her in it, we're told. And so what are the effects? There's two effects. The first effect is hiding from each other. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This relationship, which was once defined by no shame and total openness, they are naked and not ashamed, has now been disrupted by shame. Being naked in front of each other uh, now makes them feel exposed, and so they cover up. And so a wedge has been driven between the man and the woman. 
And so consider for yourself, what about yourself do you keep hidden? What do you hide from others, and how do you hide it? What are you ashamed of that you don't want others to see? How would you, how would you fill in this blank? If they knew blank about me, they would never love me, they would never accept me, they would never like me. If they knew blank about me, they would never love me, never accept me, never like me. We tend to hide our mistakes, our failures, our sin, our weaknesses, our neediness. And that is not the way it's supposed to be. It started off as they were naked, totally open, vulnerable. Everything was seen. I'm not saying we, if this church was really doing things right, we'd all be naked. That's not what I'm saying. But the imagery of this openness, this vulnerability of, I have nothing to hide here, and we're not ashamed. Even though we have plenty to be ashamed about, but we trust God to cover that. And so the first result, the first effect was hiding from each other. The second is hiding from God. And a wedge is driven between humanity and God. Verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Out of his love, God provided the trees for them. And now they use those good things, those trees that God gave them out of his love, to cover themselves from God, to hide from God. God gave them these good things, and now they use those good things to hide from God. And perhaps that sounds familiar. Instead of receiving the good things in our life as gifts from God, as a sh- uh, showing us his love and care for us, we often use the things God has given us in our life to avoid God, to hide from God, to be, try to find satisfaction in those things rather than from, in him. We actually use what God has given us to disconnect from him. And God calls out to the man, where are you? And is God asking you that? And what would you say if God was saying, where are you? What would you say to him? The man answers, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God answers, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then the blame game starts. The man says, the woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Even though the man is talking with God, he's still hiding. He doesn't own what he's done. He doesn't take responsibility. He blames the woman and he even blames God. You know, the woman gave it to me. Actually, the woman you gave to me gave the fruit to me and I ate. And God turns to the woman and the blame game continues. He asks, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The man blames the woman and God. The woman blames the serpent. The two people who actually sin never own up to anything. And we may say, I yelled at you because you yelled at me. I'm harsh because I had a bad day. I'm really tired, so that's why I'm being impatient with you. If I don't do this, my boss is going to be mad at me. Sorry I'm late. Traffic was bad. Does this sound familiar? Is someone or something else always to blame for your behaviors, your attitude, your actions. Are your actions and attitude always someone else's fault and not your own? We're notoriously bad at owning up to what we have done. We scramble to find someone or something else to blame so we can feel covered and our shame can be not seen. We know we've fallen short, but we can't be the reason we've fallen short. Something else or someone else is to blame. God told them what would happen if they ate from the tree. If they decided to find good 
and bad on their own terms for themselves, if they decided they wanted to be in charge, if they decided that they, instead of trusting and loving God, that they wanted to be God, then he said, you will surely die. And then we're, it's kind of confusing because he keeps talking to them and then he sends them out of the garden. It's like, well, I guess the serpent was right. They did actually drop dead at that moment physically. But they did die that day. Replace God's words that say, you shall surely die with, you will be relationally disconnected from me, the giver of life. And I often like to think of it as a, um, you know, a light, if you plug in a light bulb or a light, like a light string for Christmas and all those lights will light up if they're connected to the power. But if even you know, if you just take that first one out, um, at least in the old ones, you take the first bulb out, uh, disconnect from that line, all the other ones go out too. That's how it's worked with us in humanity. We've been disconnected from the giver of life. And now, because Adam and Eve disconnected themselves, now every string down the line, including us, is now disconnected from the giver of life. We're disconnected, alienated, estranged. And so, this is an ancient story that both names the symptoms of our relational sickness and diagnoses the root cause. This is where disconnection all started and it has continued until today. If God created us for connection, how do we contract the disease that grows disconnection in our lives? And here's the big idea for today, it's horizontal disconnection is the fruit of vertical disconnection. Horizontal disconnection is the fruit of vertical disconnection. Horizontal meaning our relationships with other humans. Vertical meaning our relationship with God. Your disconnection with people is the fruit, the result, the outcome of disconnection with God. Horizontal disconnection began with vertical disconnection Disconnection from each other begins with disconnection from God. And this is what we see with Adam and Eve. They were first disconnected from God, and then they were disconnected from each other. And all of our problems, this passage shows us, come from trying to be more than human, from trying to replace God and be God. And disconnection uh, always start, will always be a part of our lives if we continue living with God. And where does the disconnection with God start? Our disconnection with the, from each other is the fruit of disconnection from God, and our disconnection from God is the fruit of a distorted view of God, ourselves, and sin. That's where the serpent started. And he introduced these three beliefs. God isn't that good. Sin isn't that bad. You need to be more than human. God isn't that good. Sin isn't that bad. You need to be more than human. And Adam and Eve embraced these beliefs, and they abandoned the belief that uh, God is good, sin is bad, and we're made in God's image. They replaced those beliefs. If they just lived with this view of God is good, sin is bad, we're made in God's image, but instead they replaced that with God isn't that good, sin isn't that bad, we need to be more than human. We always live out of a set of beliefs, and the question is, are those beliefs true? Are those beliefs good for us? And while there are three sets of beliefs that, uh, those three things that introduce disconnection to our world, the first and primary one uh, begins this connection, uh, begins the disconnection with a, a distorted view of God. That's the first and primary belief the serpent introduces, a distorted view of God. Adam and Eve stop seeing God as he truly is. A distorted view of God leads uh, to disconnection from God and then disconnection from one another. And so here's what we learn from this origin story. 
Our horizontal disconnection is the fruit of vertical disconnection. And so this tells us that if we want horizontal disconnection, or horizontal connection, we need to restore our vertical connection. And then vertical disconnection began with a distorted view of God. And this tells us that if we want vertical connection again, we need to restore a true view of God. So that's the steps there. Restore a true view of God, and then you have vertical connection. And when you have vertical connection, you can have horizontal connection. The way back to connection in our lives with both God and others is to see God as he truly is, so we love and trust him. And this is what we're going to be seeking to do throughout this series. This, we address our horizontal disconnection by first addressing our vertical disconnection. What, and you know, we ask, why do we connect with others? It's because we're disconnected from God. And why are we disconnected from God? Because we have a distorted view of God. We've been deceived into doubting God's good character. And when you're at like a, a mall or an amusement park, and you're like, okay, I don't know where I am, and I want to get over there to, I don't know, if you're at Six Flags, I want to get to the Superman ride. And when you go to a map, you're going to find a, the first thing you look for is not necessarily where the Superman ride is, but for a little arrow that says you are here. Because unless you know where you are at, it's the rest of the map doesn't even make sense. You need to know where things are in relation to where you are right now so that you can get from where you are to the Superman ride or I don't know, Pier 1 or wait, Pier 1 closed. Some other store that's still open in the mall. Um, but we need to find out where we are. The first step in any journey is to know where we are right now. And the Bible is soberingly honest about where we are. We're not in a good place. The Bible pulls no punches. We're in a mess of our own making. Our biggest problem is ourselves. And today, this sermon is, is a diagnosis sermon. And the goal is to gain awareness. This week, so as we're trying to gain awareness of where did this come from? What's the diagnosis of what's wrong with me? I want to encourage you this week to look for the symptoms. Look for the patterns and behaviors of disconnection that you see, that we see in this passage, and look for those showing up in your lives. Take note of when you cover up, when you hide, and when you blame. Look for that this week. Where am I covering up and hiding? And who am I doing it with? And why am I doing that? And so a few questions um, you know, what, what don't you want other people to know about? What are you ashamed of? Which parts of yourself are you hiding? What behaviors do you justify quietly to yourself? What behaviors do you offend loudly to others? When does your internal defense lawyer get activated? Whose fault is it that you're in a bad mood? So look for these symptoms. When do you cover up? When do you hide? When do you blame? And who are you doing it with? These are symptoms of disconnection. These are unhealthy patterns we've learned from our origin stories. Uh, in, we've learned them from our personal origin stories. And in each of our personal origin stories of growing up and learning how to um, see people and having our toolbox of how to do relationships, you can t- trace, a, trace a thread in each of our stories all the way back to Genesis 3 as where it all started in the beginning. But while it's true that the Bible is soberingly honest about the bad news of where we are, the Bible is also overwhelmingly hopeful for where we can end up. We can be connected with God. We can be connected with each other. But the first step in the journey is knowing where we are now. We live in a Genesis 3 world full of sin, full of disconnection, full of broken relationship. And that's the bad news. And even though this is the world we know now, we all long for it to be different. 
Uh, we long for a Genesis 2 world. We want connection. We want our relationships to be good. We want to be able to uh, be ourselves with people and not hide and be stressed. Deep down, we know it's supposed to be different, and we want it to be different. We want to be open with others. We want to be known. We want to live without shame. And on our own, we will never move past this ancient origin story. No matter how many social media platforms there are to facilitate connection, no matter how many nice coffee shops there are for people to have a nice place to have conversations, no matter how many advances in psychology and therapy, we will never advance beyond Genesis 3. It will never go away. This event has affected every human being who's ever lived because it's infected us with a relational disease that we cannot cure on our own. And so we'll never move past it on our own. But the good news is that God is calling us to a renewed Genesis 1 and 2 state of life. God wants to remove our sin. He wants to reconnect us. He wants to heal our relationships. And the good news is that Genesis 3 is not the end of the story. In fact, it's just the beginning of the story. Like we said, it's on page 2 of our Bibles here. And there's a whole lot more to the story of what God is doing to reconnect us with Him, doing something for us that we can never do on our own. And the best part is that it's not up to us. He's done all the work necessary for it to happen. All we need to do is receive it from Him. The good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus, to become a human. He entered into the, this diff world of disconnection, but he remained disconnected to, he remained connected to God, but then he died in our place for all the ways we create disconnection between us and God. All the, the walls and barriers, the sin, the disobedience, the, how we're deceived and believing lies, and how we're doubting God's goodness, and we're desiring uh, what God has said is bad, and we're seeking after all the wrong things. Jesus came and died for all that. He came to take away all of our guilt, all of our shame, so we don't have to hide anymore. And he did it by dying in our place, um, taking our spot that we should have taken. Jesus is the way, and he shows us the way back to connection. Jesus is the way to connection with God, and he shows us the way of living a connected life with God. And so we want to be a church of people that are trusting this good news, that are living it out, and we're living lives connected with God, connected with one another, um, and connected with people who are outside this church. And that's, um, if you want to sum up what our church is about, I mean, we have our, you know, our DNA and stuff on, in the back of the songbook, but you can think of it, we're, we're about Jesus, we're about community and relationships, and we're about making a difference, which is, okay, we're connected to God through Jesus. We're connected to one another. We're being a community of Jesus' followers. And then we're also connected with the people around us, wanting to make a difference so that our love that we receive from God can flow out to them. Let's pray. God, we have surely messed things up. We're disconnected from you, disconnected from each other. If we're left to ourselves, we have no hope but experiencing a world of disconnection and broken relationships, but you have made a way back to you. You've shown us what it looks like to live our lives, connect with you, with you. And so, Lord, would you help us to be people who walk with you every day, who trust in Jesus as the one who brings us close to you and what you've done in our lives to take away all the disconnection. Would you let us walk closely with you and know you and be known by you. So in his name we pray. Amen.